Kia ora. Welcome to 168 Days of Magic. This is the podcast that invites you to empower your creative spirit and get stuck into a project that nourishes, nurtures and excites you. Each episode, we'll be looking at how mindfulness, productivity and creativity all come together to give you the power, stamina and resilience to bring something new into the world. My name's Jordan Harcourt-Hughes and I'm an artist living on New Zealand's stunning Kapiti Coast, which is just an hour north of Wellington. I'll be your host and creative champion on this journey and I'll also be introducing you to some other wonderful people along the way, including some of our other local artists, wellbeing practitioners and life coaches to help us on our journey. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you along for the ride. So a big episode today, we've got two guests. I'm talking to Carpety Coast artist, Julie Davidson, and also work and life coach, Lee Johnson. We'll do a quick refresher on why creative projects are so good for us and why we should get stuck in. On the mindfulness front, we're gonna be looking at the art of single tasking as opposed to multitasking. And I'll just give you a quick update on how I'm going with my own creative project as well. So let's get stuck in. And just a reminder, if you're wondering if this podcast is for you, well, let me tell you, if you're looking to get more creative, then yes, this podcast is for you. If you're looking to deep into a painting or writing practice or any other creative work, then yes, this podcast is for you. And if you're looking to get better at getting a creative project across the line, then yes, this podcast is for you. Stay tuned. So for each of the most recent episodes of the podcast, I've been talking about why creative projects are good for us. So one of the bits of wisdom that I found in the last week or two is this idea that creative projects can help us create a psychological safety net to enable us to take risks and not worry about failing so much. And I think this is a perfect idea. And I think what it's saying is that when we're in our day jobs, there is a lot of reasons to play it safe and we can be less keen to take risks. So this means we are generally pretty likely to do the things that people want us to do. So we come to our work and we like to please, we like to do great work, but we don't have the same opportunity to fail because we have expectations to live up to, of course, and we want to make sure that we remain in people's good stead, essentially. But creative projects are a little bit different. We're just doing it for ourselves, which means we're not relying on the endorsement of anyone else. We don't need to have anyone else approve of this project. We're really just doing it for our own satisfaction. And that takes away a huge amount of the need to play it safe. We can actually take more risks when we do a creative project No one's going to fire us from our own creative work. No one's going to stop us from exploring these ideas in our own time. So there's lots more opportunity to explore creativity, explore ideas. And if we want to take a risk, then we've got much more opportunity to do so. And, you know, these creative risks may be small. It may just be showing up on social media and sharing some of your artwork. It may be putting it out into the world in a way that you wouldn't normally. It may be showing a different side of you that you wouldn't normally show in your day job. So I thought that was a great reason that uh, credit projects are good for us. I also found a great quote by Kurt Vonnegut, who was an actor. So this is what he said. When I was 15, I spent a month working on an archaeological dig. I was talking to one of those archaeologists one day during our lunch break, and he asked one of those getting to know you questions you ask young people. Do you play sports? What's your favourite subject? And I told him, no, I don't play sports. I do theatre, I'm in choir, I play the violin and piano, I used to take art classes. And he went, wow, that's amazing. And I said, no, I'm not any good at any of them. 
And then he said something that I will never forget and which absolutely blew my mind because no one had ever said anything like it to me before. He said, I don't think being good at these things is the point of doing them. I think you've got all these wonderful experiences with different skills and all of that teaches you things and makes you an interesting person, no matter how well you do them. And that changed my life because I went from a failure, someone who hadn't been talented enough at anything to excel, to someone who did things because I enjoyed them. I had been raised in such an achievement-oriented environment, so inundated with the myth of talent, that I thought it was only worth doing things if you could win at them. So how cool is that? That's a great quote. Uh, and this is someone who's just found the value of doing things for the fun of them. And I think this is what creative projects also give us, the opportunity to play and just do it because we enjoy it. So my first chat today is with Carpety Coast artist Julie Davidson. Julie is an artist specialising in fine art and photography. She's a qualified teacher, she runs art classes, uh, and her attention to detail is what makes her work really unique. Uh, she particularly enjoys capturing animals and bird life, uh, and she also undertakes fine art commissions and specialises in wedding and engagement photography. Pretty talented. So Julie, welcome to the podcast. Um, you've got an amazing collection of talents. So you're a fine artist, uh, an illustrator, and a photographer based here on Cavity on the Capitol Coast. Um, what was your journey to being here? How did you get into art and creativity and when, you, when did you know it was going to be your thing? Well, I think it started when I was about 11 years old <clears throat> and my mum and dad gifted me a Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck book. Oh. And in the centrefold, it was using shapes to create the characters. And that really was the first point in understanding that art is like a jigsaw puzzle, mm. that each of the pieces have to fit. Mm. And it doesn't really matter what sort of style you're doing mm. at the end of the day, it's still got to come together and, like a jigsaw and it's still got to have the balance, the contrast, the colours to jukes next to each other. Mm. So from my first understanding that shapes create, um, that's when the art grew. But after when I was at school, after that, it was a case of I would have liked to have gone to art college. But my lack of confidence in myself and my ability lent me onto a path working at a bank, <laughs> <laughs> working in an insurance yeah. company. And and the universe went, nope, mm. that is not what you're going to do. Because every time I went into a job like that, everything went wrong. I broke equipment. Um, it just didn't gel. Things happened. I got glandular fever and everything was going, uh-uh, you're just going in the wrong direction, girl. So then um, I did a portrait for someone. And somebody saw that portrait. And then all of a sudden, I was back on the path. It was like commissions to start to come in. Oh, can you do this? Can you do this? And I was still working part-time at the time to, to work with the art. But it was, um, that's how it started getting me back on the path. And then my love of animals and conservation, I started contacting wildlife parks in the UK. Uh, John Aspelin's uh, Wildlife Park in Kent and Powderhouse Wildlife Park. And I went on down and met some really cool people that were just amazing 
and uh, their their love for the environment, the animals, the conservation. And I became uh, a wildlife artist and I had my first exhibition at the Gordon Craig Theatre um, in Stevenage, Hertfordshire. And it was um, it, it, it was successful. Mm-hmm. And then people are asking, well, when, you, when is your next exhibition? And then it kind of grew. Mm-hmm. And I was then starting out doing um, uh, the Birmingham Trade Show and um, going there and uh, doing some shows, um, which um, uh, which was hilarious. Uh, you know, as many stories come out from that. And then uh, <laughs> um, I thought, hang on a minute. I haven't got the big portfolio that these big publishers have got. I know what I'm going to do is I'll broaden out and I'll actually get other artists and I'll publish other artists' work, which I did. And then the universe kind of went, uh-uh, hang on a minute, you're, t- you're, you're taking it away from your own art. And for five years, I had moderate su- success. But in the end, um, through um, uh, business people that take advantage and uh, bad experiences um, where money was involved and people were involved, I ended up going back to my art. Mm. And that was, that's been the journey of my life mm. in that every time I've come off the path, yeah, something's gone right, really, yeah. <laughs> you, you are, you're off track. So therefore, art has always been there for yeah. me. It's interesting, you seem quite attuned to that kind of, that universal direction, the nudges that you get yes. kind of when, whenever you step off what, oh, yeah. you, what the path is for you. Definitely, yeah. I, I, um, I, I would say I'm not, I'm mean, not religious, mm. but I am spiritual, mm. and um, and I, and um, I do think that there's uh, things in your life when you're on the journey, uh, coincidences or not coincidences, that guide you, mm. and I, I, and I'm a, I, I believe that. Mm. Um, um, and that's my private belief. Yeah, uh, it, you know. How how do you tap into that? Do you think everyone's got that ability to kind of tap into understanding when you're getting kind of tips and tricks from the universe in terms of go here or maybe that's not for you or you know that's clearly um, maybe that's for someone else and this is you know how do you get that? What what does that look like for you? Um, for me, it's um, it's. When you do art, it comes from your heart. It's not from your mind. It, it comes from a love. And it can, to some extent, be a love-hate relationship because the need inside is so strong to create. Mm-hmm. Just because... Uh, and, and those, those are... Um, that feeling you can't really describe it to somebody what that feeling is. Um, And people find it in lots of different ways, uh, not just in art. So it's when you are at peace with yourself and you don't have to be at peace with yourself to do art. Sometimes it could be music. Sometimes it could be baking. Mm. Sometimes it could just simply be walking out Mm. in nature. But it's, uh, for me... 
art to me is something that is inside that is um, so strong that you're you're creating from within mm. and and there's signs given to us all the time mm. it could be a song on a radio that you're just thinking something and then the song uh, comes out and you're going, oh my goodness. And, it, and it's mirroring exactly an, a question that you're asking. It could be um, signs are everywhere, like one day you're running late and you can't find your car keys and you go to the shops. And if you hadn't been five or ten minutes late, you wouldn't have been at that shop at that precise time when you're actually meeting somebody that you haven't seen for ages. So I believe that everyone has their own journey. Um, Who we take on our journey is up to us Mm -hmm. and the choices that we make. So our destiny, and it's my belief, is already preordained, but how you choose to to go on that path where you make it hard or uh, easy for yourself, um, really, um, it's uh, um, how much you get out of those choices. Mm. Yeah. Very profound, Julie. There's, oh. you, there's, I think there's a lot in there, particularly um, when you talk about the idea that it's our choice. There's so much in our journey that's our choice of how, how we look at things, um, who we choose to be on the journey with us. It's all quite a... Um, there's a lot for us to own and take control of, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Mm, interesting. Um, now you've um, you've explored a, diff- a number of different creative styles. So you've um, you specialised in photorealism for a long time, and you've now just more recently started exploring surrealism. Um, what are the two different styles to you, and, and do you have to be in a different headspace to do each one? Um, the photorealism. Um, for me, um, I used photography as a tool when I was a wildlife artist. Mm. And for me, um, capturing something that came off the paper that was um, made it better than the photo, you know, all the muscles, skin tones, um, it, it's like a study. Mm. It's a study. Um, so the photorealism for me to be able to create something that came off the paper, that, that, that sense. To me, the journey, that particular style was um, my apprenticeship. Mm. So learning about light and uh, um, learning about composition, balance, all your design elements and principles, learning that along the way, on the way, instinctively knowing what's right and what's wrong honoring the animal that you are capturing and respecting an, an animal that wasn't just a tiger or a rhino it captured the essence of the animal itself um, but now i think everybody goes on it on on, on uh, through life uh, as a child we listen uh, to people around us we're influenced by our environment, we're influenced by our whānau. Um, and then you reach a point in, in life, for me, it has, in regards to you want something more 
more, you want something more. So my ancestry, my um, beliefs that I have come to, um, for me, feel at home with, mm. now I want to project that mm. through my art. So, so the art now is, is more, um, what is my true signature? Mm. What do I want my legacy to be? Mm. Um, so um, as much as the, the animals that I produced and people um, um, gave me a lot of challenges, um, for me, it, the arts evolved. Mm. So um, when I was given a commission by the army, territorial army, to come up with a picture that joined four units together, um, I saw that as, as a machine, so a bit of steampunk came into oh, it. Yeah. And when I produced it, and I did a bit of Celtic, I did the waka, uh, and I incorporated all these, the imagery in it, something stirred and I thought, well, mm. actually, I loved doing this. Mm. And I thought, this is it. Mm. This is what I have actually all along been looking for, something yeah. that I can take, that I can build on, mm. that is my signature. Mm. Amazing, beautiful. Um, in terms of being a practicing artist, um, what other skills has your creative practice helped you to develop, which may be surprising to other people? Oh, um, for me, um, for me, I suppose, um, uh, observation, mm. uh, truly looking, um, my photography in regards to in the beginning, I used it as a tool. I've now learnt through doing my degree on how to actually use it properly as a tool. Mm. So in regards to the, the light and the composition and using photography. So what I would suggest, you know, for anybody that's got a camera is capture the moment. Um, have a little sketchbook, just write some notes down. Thoughts that pop into your head, um, colours that you see, a sunset, um, I mean, you've only got to look at the masters in regards to Turner, how, he, uh, how the colours, um, directors of movies at the moment, when you're watching a film, I mean, Peter Jackson is just an amazing uh, director and the colours he uses in his films, the, the um, browns, the um, mute, you know, the reds and how everything is colour coordinated so beautiful. Um, just watch watching a movie and watching compositions, how people move, how they speak, the language. Um, so it's just observing. Mm. Um, and and when you are thinking in when you when with your thought process, sometimes you're not actually doing any art, but your mind is going over time and it's digesting it and it's slotting it in what makes sense. And then all of a sudden, out of that, you know, it comes as an inspiration. Yeah. My goodness, mm. I've got it. Yeah. This is this is what this what I this is what I need. Yeah. Um, so, take everything around you. It's it's not just uh, 
it's not just actually physically doing your mm. art it's um, taking ev everything in mm, beautiful yeah. I think there's so much processing that goes on isn't there in the body that we just we can forget that is going on when we're not thinking and actually when we're distracted and or sleeping or just going about our day there's still so much going on and you know we're so in the subconscious and in the back of our head there's so much turning over absolutely and then that just kind of comes out at some point maybe we expect it maybe you don't but it's amazing yeah um what do you think are some of the more challenging aspects of being an artist <laughs> <laughs> oh oh i'm laughing um i think um never doubt yourself mm. the biggest obstacle on your journey and in everything that you do is the fear factor mm. and for me i've been down that road um don't 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 do it mm. um Fear of success, fear of failure. I mean, for me, I came from a working class background where the thought of somebody, the value of something when you're selling it, when you are producing something, um, am I good enough? Um, and sometimes the environment in which we find ourselves as younger influences that uh, psychology, that thought process as we get older don't doubt yourself and uh, never um, consistently think negative because what you will do you will manifest that for tomorrow think positive I can um, go to somebody uh, when you ask somebody what do you think about my art go to a trusted source go to somebody that you know that will give constructive criticism, that they won't out of negative thought patterns of jealousy, of um, uh, just just negative, just, you know, somebody's going to say something that's going to pull you down. Mm. Um, retain your own energy. Mm. Um, so, so just keep those negative thoughts at bay and have that, I can. If somebody else has succeeded, I can do it. My art is, um, I value my art. And the time that you put in it, if you put a price on it and you feel it's justified, then hold to that. Mm. Don't devalue yourself. Mm. The fear of success is a funny one, isn't it? Well, I've had somebody actually turn around and say, uh, I hope you're not successful. I hope you're not successful because that would make you more important than me. Oh, so, um, so fear of success. What, you know, fear of success. What does what does that mean now to be successful? Will that mean I have to face um, public speaking? Will I have to actually bring other people into my life because I am successful and I'm going to be seen? So it's that sort of fear of success. Um, being concerned what other people think of you. Mm. Um, so that's why I say yeah. it's also fear of success yeah. as well. Really interesting. Um, so you also teach. Do you see uh, common hurdles for people that are looking to kind of develop their creativity? Yeah. Um, people come in and... <laughs> it's it's funny. I'll relate this to my my daughter. 
my daughter was two years old and we went uh, out in the garden to do some painting now our daughter was very very good uh, she would go to school and and her drawings um, all the details that she put in was amazing and then she looked over at me and she went slammed down her paints and went I will never be as good as you and stormed off yeah. and that was the last time that she would do painting oh. so when students come to me and they look and they go I will never be as good as you it's like seriously yeah. hey you know you're gonna have your own style don't copy me mm. be yourself develop something so I can give you the tools. I can show you what to do. But don't model your um, art on my art. Take bits of it, but go out out there and produce, produce something from you. Mm. Wonderful tips there, Julie. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Mm. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Julie today. If you'd like to find out more about her art and photography, you can visit her website, juliedavidsonfinearts.com. So on the mindfulness front today, we're talking about the art of single tasking. Now, I think lots of us know that experience of brain fatigue when you've got so much going on and you're trying to do so many things. This is a really nice approach to just slow down and focus on one thing at a time. I'm often multitasking. What's that expression where you've got too many tabs open on your browser? So I feel a lot of my life is like that. I'm trying to do everything all at once and sometimes I just fall over with fatigue. So I really liked exploring this idea of single tasking. Essentially, it's pretty simple. Single tasking is the art of doing one thing at a time. While it feels like multitasking is actually productive, the time it takes for our brains to frantically switch back and forth is actually creating a drain on our brains. And we lose 20% of our overall productivity for each task we try to take on at once. So that's a lot. It is a problem that we have so much going on in our lives. The modern workplace does make this really, really hard. So we're all under pressure, we're all feeling this sense of not being able to get enough done. Focusing for long periods of time is hard, so our brains are constantly filtering outside stimuli and our own thoughts to keep us on track. Uh, and this is actually why multitasking is fun, because when we switch from one context to the other, we get a hit of dopamine, the brain's reward chemical. So this is probably one of the reasons we tend to try and multitask, because when we're switching very quickly, we get that rush, we get that hit of dopamine, but actually it's draining our cognitive reserves at the same time. So here are three tips to just try this approach of single tasking. The first step uh, recommended is to just get rid of distractions. So get your phone away from you, go and put it in another room and leave it there for half an hour. Close your emails, put a do not disturb sign on your desk. So for a little bit of time, just get rid of distractions. I think that's a really nice, easy thing to start with. Step two, start small but set a timer. So maybe you have focus time for 30 minutes and then you go have a break and then you set your timer again. You know, maybe it's just five minutes to start with and then you grow your resilience with that focus over, you know, a period of time. So you have 10 minute focus periods, then 20 minutes and 30 minutes. So the third recommended step is to take a meaningful break after you've been single tasking. So I love this. I love the idea of just doing 30 minutes of focus work 
and then going have, having a nice coffee, a wander, a walk, because that's a really nice reward. So we're not getting that dopamine reward anymore, but we're getting a real reward, uh, which makes it, um, it balances things out, I think. I really like the idea of single tasking. I'm working on it myself. I think we just have to remember that we can't do these things perfectly instantly. You just have to try it and practice it. So give it a go. I think it's a great mindfulness practice because it brings us back to ourself and it allows us to have the headspace to really process what we're doing rather than it all just being in our head. We can really do it and then release it and it's done. So my second guest on the podcast today is Lee Johnson. Lee is a work and life coach. She and her husband have had a successful recruitment business for 30 years, uh, but a series of painful events in her life triggered a long, deep depression. She spent the next six years drawing on all of her strengths and experience to create a pathway to recovery. Now today, Lee's living her dream in a simple beach house and using her vast business and career management expertise to support women achieve their goals. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're a work and life coach for women. You have a mindful a mindfulness practice, and you've also recently volunteered at uh, Temoata Retreat Centre during a seven day mindfulness t- retreat. That sounds amazing. Uh, tell us about it. Well, I first went to Temoata um, to attend my first seven day mindfulness retreat um, with a guy called Stephen Archer, and he now offers online. Retreats, so you can look them up. And it was about the time that I was going through a major depressive episode, and I took up mindfulness then, and I challenged myself to go on this retreat. Um, It was difficult, but it was great. And since then, I've returned to Timuata as a as a worker, as a volunteer worker. Mm. Um, And this time, the opportunity came up to attend his retreat. Um, but work on the service team, which means we were in the kitchen preparing food. So I got to partially attend his retreat, um, most of the time to maintain sort of silence over that seven days. Um, and so I got to do both things at the same time. So, yeah, I earned, I earned my keep yeah. by doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how so what you... I find is, sorry, what I find is that um, it creates... Uh, an opportunity to to, to to step out of your, my normal life and just reflect, spend, it's quite selfish, I suppose, and just spend time with myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it sounds lovely, but I think it would be hard for most people to not talk for, for seven days. How did you find it? Was it a challenge or did you, did you find it a nice uh, break from normality? I think the first time I went, so I wasn't very well, and I did find it a challenge. Um, but it also, I mean, that, that's sort of the reason for doing it, mm. is that just not being able to distract yourself by talking to somebody is makes you really focus on what, what the feelings are. And he, he's very relaxed in that, um, you don't, you're not spending hours and hours in meditation, so you can write, you can read, you can walk in the bush, you know, so you can find other ways to process the, the thoughts or the feelings that you have. The mm. second time I went, I really loved the silence. I didn't want it to stop. So <laughs> it's worth, it's worth, <laughs> it's worth testing yourself. I think the, the environment is created to be able to, to 
towards in in its future plans. Yeah. Um, and did you do you find that when you don't talk, you start to tune into your other senses more? Absolutely, and also tune into um, observations like of nature. Um, so I guess the mindfulness practice, and that's um, whether that's regular meditation, which I don't do a huge amount of, but actually just being being able to use mindfulness meditation practice and, and mindfulness in general, just being able to observe my thoughts and then ask questions like, oh my God, what's that thought about, you know, mm. and just to, to hear myself, now I find that I'm, I'm so much easy, it's so much easier for me to go, oh Lee, why are you going down this rabbit hole mm. with a thought? You know, you get in the stew about something and I just go, what value is this doing? What value is this having to me? Yeah. You know, is this doing me any good? And it's like, oh no, why not just stop it? Or let it be. Sometimes just letting things be, you know, as opposed to letting them go. Some of the things that you've mentioned that are important to you are things like living authentically, uh, seeing possibilities and giving ourselves permission to live differently. What do you mean yeah. when you say give ourselves permission to live differently? If we live differently, is one is to put, first is to put ourselves first, and that's about the self care. Mm. You know, and women, we're not so good at that. Perhaps women of a certain age, you know, we've been brought up to put others first, to be the good mother, the good wife, the good person, the good friend, the good, you know, but what about putting yourself Mm. And that doesn't mean you don't look after others, but if you take care of yourself, then you can take better care of others. Number two would be about being aware of that we spend a lot of our time living by other people's expectations mm. or what we think are other people's expectations. Half the time we don't damn well know what they are expecting <laughs> of us. Thirdly, is our own expectations. I got to a stage in my late 30s and I hadn't lived up to any of my expectations. Mm. Didn't have a relationship, didn't have money, didn't have a career. And then one day it came to me and I thought, where the hell did those expectations come from? They came from my upbringing, my family, my surroundings, and I just made a decision to let them go and Mm. create some new expectations. Lovely. Um, Now, Lee... You went through your own crisis in your 50s. How did you navigate your way through that? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I got really good professional help. Um, I had a fantastic um, clinical support person, counsellor. I used medication because I was just in such a dark hole. It was was such a long, dark tunnel that I was in Mm. that, you know, all these things. And then I started to develop my own, I guess, strategies. And one of those was, um, you know, the the sort of self-care processes. Mm. You know, working out what I could do for myself. I made a major change in my life. I quit my job and my own business and left my poor husband and the rest in the business to look after it, um, but I knew I wasn't getting well. So I did make changes to my life that I knew would be enabled 
get well and have enabled me to stay well yeah. for the last five years so far, so good. Great. Yeah. Well done. And now, as part of living a simpler life that you can own and love, you travel, you attend and work at retreats, you're out on road trips. Is this is this the good life now or is there still more work to do? <laughs> well, at the moment, I'm, I have learned to say in the last year that I am living my dream. Lovely. Um, and at, at first, that felt rather a, a bit of a guilt trip, but mm. here I am. I, I live at a in a, in a simple one-bedroom house on the beach. Um, we travel in a very small camper. We live very simply. We do things that are, you know, just refine things down or try to live more sustainably. So, yes, I, I, I am living my dream, and I want, I want that for others, and yeah. that's when my work is approach, is I want others to be that are doing work that they love or to create a life that, that they're going to enjoy or to open their eyes up with the possibilities that there are um, rather than just be easy to get into like this is the way things are yeah. and, they, and it's hard to see outside that so I'm the one who tends to go oh why not yeah. you know let's look at this a different way or why why do you still do that have you thought about stopping doing that yeah. yeah. So yes, I am living my dream, and I will find other things. Cool. Now, um, last question for you: If you had one golden tip for women on how to incorporate self care into their lives, what would it be? Ah, uh, this is something that I've talked about a lot um, in in a ebook I wrote to last life over and I and I so believe in it because it's what worked for me when I was coming through that darkness and back into real life and I've seen it work with others and that's to take baby steps. Mm. So often I find that women and the women I've worked with you know, are in their midlife and over and stuck and we're stuck in a place or we can't quite see how to get to the next point and, and what it takes is each day to do something that moves people towards, you know, and that might be a baby step of self-care. It might be a baby step to start creating something. Someone says, oh, I'd like to have a business. Well, actually, all you need to do to have a business is step one, fine. Mm. That baby step, you know, or, you know, start the first thing, you know, do something. Um, mm. Yes, baby step. That's a great tip um, and something that everyone can do. That's amazing. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I, I just, sometimes I think we, we anticipate too much. We can't make a decision. Yeah. It's where we are. We can't make decisions because we think we have to work out if I did this and then that and then that. Oh, what could be? Oh, that might go wrong and this might happen. And actually, if you take one baby step and tomorrow – you decide it's not the right step, or you change your mind, well, it's only a baby step. Yeah. So you can you know, you're not, not, you're getting, you're getting from where you were towards something, and that is so much better than not making any movement at all. Yeah, brilliant. Lee, thank you so much for, for joining us, and enjoy the rest of the road trip that you're currently on. Thank you. We will do. Thank you. <laughs> 
Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Lee today. If you'd like to know more about Lee's coaching offerings, take a look at her website, leejohnsonnz.com. Well, that's it for the episode today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. Don't forget to go and have a look at the other episodes if you haven't already. Creativity is so rewarding and once you add that mindfulness aspect to it, it makes it relaxing and nourishing and it also gives us the chance to do some inner reflection and retrospection as well, which means that that creative project ends up becoming much more meaningful to us and much more powerful as a way of expressing ourselves. Anyway, I will see you again next time. Have great fun with your creative work till we uh, catch up again. <laughs>